This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. Today on the podcast, Chris Kidd, a writer I really love. Honestly, please check out his work if you can. I find it to be super moving. And this is a, speaking of moving, Valerie, our engineer said, boy, that was a moving conversation. And you know what? It was. So (laughs) shout out to Valerie, to Sierra, of course, for always producing this podcast. Against all odds, I make it nearly impossible. So thank you, Sierra. And uh, hey, do you live in Los Angeles? Because I've got a show. I have a show at the Elysian Theater. It's Tuesdays right now in January. So I think you probably missed the 9th and 23rd. But I don't know. I don't know when this is coming out. Um, But check out my Instagram or CameronEsposito.com slash shows. And more information will be up about the February shows. Okay. I can't wait for you to listen to this. I love you. Enjoy the show. Hi, I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Oh, um, yeah. I'm Chris. <gasps> I'm a recovering model. Um, yes. I, I write sometimes. I yes. paint sometimes. I'm around. I'm excited to be here. I'm around. (laughs) Well, so this is why um, I didn't realize that you actually, I think you know my wife, Katie Nishimoto. I met her once. Yeah. She's so lovely. She is so lovely. Um, But I was just, the reason that that came up is because I was, so I, you know how it is when you're fucking in like a weirdo in the weirdo art scene. I have a friend, I have this friend Byron who plays saxophone at my, um, show I'm doing in the outlet. You should come. I'm going to invite you. It's on Tuesday, this Tuesday, December 12th. Doesn't matter, you know, whatever, if it's not this one. But anyway, uh, my friend Byron is a saxophone player. He plays sax at that show, but also he plays sax in like a, I mean, I, the word I want to use is goth, but like, I don't even know if that's like what a kid would say these days. I'm sold. I went to this like abandoned video store at you know, a late time and milled around. Everybody was wearing full black head to toe chokers. I was wearing like, I just didn't know. I didn't understand what was going on. (laughs) So I was wearing like tan, you know, just like, like the, like just fully looking like an idiot. And, um, actually, honestly, the show started so late. I finally had to give Byron a hug and just like, I watched him sound check. And then I was like, babe, this is, uh, this is too late. Um, but this is why I'm giving this environment, right? So they're like have a little merch stand where they're selling like, you know, whatever it is, like spikes, just various spikes. Studs, chains. Exactly. Yeah. But as on this merch stand was a collection of like, I guess technically maybe the word is erotica that's called, that was called split lips. And oh, yeah. um, I was like just drawn to it. It was like a book that they were selling. And I was like, what an odd thing to purchase at in this environment. And so I purchased it. And then um, I started reading it 
I actually really liked it. It's a really interesting collection, but your writing is in there. And it I is. loved your piece of writing that is about being a model. And in fact, I loved it so much that then I went and ordered um, the larger book that, oh my God, I'm like blanking on the, no I, it's in my bedside table right now. You're like, it's like a larger. I go, down for whatever? Yeah, down for whatever. Yes, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, and I just was, I was like, I love this writer. And I was talking to Katie one time at bedtime and she was like, I already know this writer. So anyway, That's just so, so you know, in case you're wondering if like random, you know, lesbians are talking about you right before going to bed, they are. I love that. That means a lot to me. I, I just assumed that Katie mentioned me to you. I didn't know. No, I found you That's on my so own. Crazy. Yeah. I found you on my own. Um, and, you know, one thing that I really feel so grateful for is like just the decision I made a while ago where if I have like a little bit of disposable income that I'm not going to spend on like presents for somebody or like outfits for like a, you know, work event, I often spend it on queer folks like to go see shows or to like buy books because it's what yeah. I love. And also it gave me a little bit of a habit of like chasing you down, finding your other stuff because I liked it. That so is much. so rad that I yeah. never would have guessed. And Splitless, yeah. yeah, that was um, Chad who kind of collected the whole anthology, had read that essay or I don't even know what to call it. Like um, a, yeah, it is. It's like an essay book. I don't know what it is book. either. Yeah. yeah. Um, book say. I had published that. <laughs> a book say. Yeah. I published that online somewhere. Um, as part of a larger series and he really liked that one so we ran with right. that because split lips was all about love and sex um and that one took place in japan i lived on love hotel hill it was crazy um that's so funny yeah what when you say so i read it so i know what you're mm -hmm. talking about but maybe you could talk a little bit when you say love hotel hill yeah um, i don't i think probably <laughs> I'm going to guess it's a low percentage of people that are saying that know what you're talking about. Could you, could you walk us through it? Yeah. So this was years and years ago. I was 22. I think I did a two month contract in Tokyo. So I actually had two apartments that I as a model, between. as a model. Yeah. Just to be, just yes. to be clear, yeah. recovering model. Um, yeah. So I did two months there, but the second apartment they moved me into was, on this place they called love hotel hill so love hotels are kind of like by the hour motels i guess would be our version um but the culture there is so repressed sexually that it's like a booming business and it was a very strange very beautiful thing to live there all wow. neon and it was amazing so you're talking about like folks who are Take, like primarily sex work with is sex going work on. yeah yeah um or is it like also meetups or is it like mostly sex work i would assume sex work yeah i never visited a love hotel um i just kind of got the rundown from people around me but right. um yeah it's i mean meetups in general i guess but yeah and you're also, sex work, so I, I think that, you know, one thing that like really struck me about this, um, it's a, you know, it's an extreme version of being like young, queer and like out there, but it is sort of a story that I've 
heard, although not necessarily like, I don't know what it is like to be a young gay man. And I don't know what it's like to be a young, well, actually do you, do you identify as a man? Yes, yes, I do. So I don't know what it's like to be a young gay man. And then also to be a young gay man that is like, um, I guess sort of within the beauty paradigm. Um, and that when I was reading this story, it sort of felt to me like revealing the nightmare that that might be. <laughs> <laughs> like as opposed to the pleasure cruise, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, that essay in general is very dark. I had good times in Japan, but I was also personally going through a lot at that time. I was very slutty, uh, very self-loathing. And I think that comes up in a lot of my earlier writing is this kind of dichotomy between feeling so disgusting inside and presenting as not disgusting. I mean, yeah, yes, you said yes, the beauty yes. industry, um, which I think the majority of people perceive as very glamorous. And it is to a certain extent, but yeah, like a vast dichotomy between my personal life and the work life I had at that time. How did you get involved in modeling? Listen, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, spotted on the street. Tell me spotted no, on the I, street. I, I wish, I feel like that's the coolest thing to say. Um, it was like my space. I was a kid. I grew up on like old social media. Um, Zenga, MySpace, Wait, Tumblr. so what, what were you doing on MySpace? That Were you, were you posting photos? Like, yeah, what the, like how I do you get a- pictures of myself. Um, and I met a photographer. He was pretty shady. Um, worked with him when I was like 14 or 15. 14. Wow, that's young. And then, yeah, it was a young start. I didn't sign with anybody until I was 16. Um, but I did a lot of testing and like editorial stuff, 14, 15, um, took a break around like 19, 20 for my quote unquote mental health, did nothing with that time for my mental health. And then came back swinging with Japan, um, and did really well there. So that was fun for a while. Were you, when you signed at 16, were you immediately making money? And no, 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 no. So it was, I don't know how this works, to be honest. So that was with an agency in Santa Monica that a friend of mine who is also a photographer was working at. And they weren't sure about signing me fully because I was so young. Um, so she kind of took me on and was still having me test. I booked certain jobs. LA is also a different market, but it was a lot of that like, Converse, um, kind of like street style. Uh, I don't even know the word. Like Levi's kind of free spirit young people stuff. You're always running around and smiling and holding a skateboard. I can't skateboard. Um, I've actually, I will, I've sure. never been to Venice Beach without being paid, but I've been a lot. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It's very, very that in That's LA. so funny. Okay. Sure. And um, then you're older. And prior to that break, is that, were you, was that continuing that LA? That you're still in LA. Of I'm, things? 
I'm born and raised LA. So and then so you when you got to 19, 20, mm-hmm. you took that break and then you came back in Japan. This is a different kind of modeling at that point. Yeah, that was more um editorial pays there. So editorial like stuff in magazines. Um it's more like the creative side of the industry. I feel like everybody loves to do editorial because you get to do crazy makeup and hair and everything's fun, but it doesn't really pay here. Um, and it paid there. So I got to do all of that weird, fun stuff and make money. Um, Were you making a lot of money? Yeah, it's pretty okay. crazy there. Um, I mean, I worked like a dog, but it was worth it. I mean, like 17 hour days, but it was worth it. Oh. Pretty wild. I think I was, yeah, I was there 60 days. I worked 54 of them. Wow. Holy shit. Wild. Okay. So you came back. I came back. I signed with a different agency here and I've been with them ever since. Um, they're really great. LA is just much sort of, I feel like I might've aged out. I mean, they haven't taken me out back old yeller style and shot me yet, but, (laughs) um, how old are I you, don't, if you don't mind I, me asking? I just turned 30 this year. Yeah. So that's like 94 in model years. Um, I mean, you look really young. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I work here and there. It's more commercial now, which also pays here in LA, which is nice. Um, every year, you know how pride is. Everybody gets gay for like a month. So I'll get my huh. little gay stack of cash. And then go back into hiding. What do you, what do you, what would you get hired to do right now? Like, what are you, like, what are you wearing? What is the, like, are you like in undies? Like, what are you wearing? Oh God, no, nobody wants to see that. Um, Hey, listen, (laughs) also, I don't even know if it's like a, I don't want to treat it like it's a compliment to say you look young. You just do look young. You do look like a young person. So I don't know. I mean, Um, I certainly don't know how any of this works. Like the last pride thing was for Lucky Jeans. Um, oh yeah, I've heard. Of, I know about yeah, Lucky you. Yeah, denim. Lucky you. Uh, um, they did a pride collection. I did that with them. Then things with like Diesel here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just much more. I don't. I'm sorry. I don't know the word for it. I should, but it's not high fashion. It's more kind of commercial e-commerce. So like stuff that you when you're shopping online. I think you're describing it. I think you're describing it really well. Yeah. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! So, I mean, I know I'm asking like a bunch of questions, but part of it is, um, well, number one, I think this is like an industry that's like a little opaque 
you know, it's like, it's like certainly glam, um, from the outside, but like a little opaque, like, I don't really know what's going on there. Um, and then also I think that it's one of those things where like, there's a lot of men who are doing this work who are real pretty. And I think when I was growing up, it's like a sort of a George Michael syndrome where like when I was growing up, I genuinely somehow didn't understand that he was gay. Like he like wasn't out in quotes or whatever, but like if you had, if you listened to even one word that he said, basically all of his lyrics are like, I am a homosexual. Like that's what, you know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) and then also if you look at him, he also looks gay. So it's like, he's like, he's like, he's, he's like, look at my earrings and my beautiful beard. And also have you heard my songs? They're about daddies. You know, you're like, okay, so that, so this is, but I just think like when I was growing up and I think this is a little different today, but like models, especially male models, it's like, they're like pretty and they're like, you know, groomed and all these things that I think we do associate with gay male culture, but they're also supposed to be straight. Like they're They're supposed to be like posing with a woman who's like dangling off of them. Nobody's like talking about their personal life. So it's like this disconnect between like what, like a manly man is, you know, to a Republican, but also then like what a manly man is in vogue. And like that guy who's like dripping in jewels and like eye makeup is still like being fawned over by, you know, Kate Moss or whatever. Do do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's the thing too. That was never going to be me. I'm, I couldn't play straight if you paid me money. Um, So there is that. I think that's like, when you think of, I mean, people rarely do, but there are male supermodels. They are straight for the most part. And even if they're not, they're playing the role of straight. They're still usually a prop to the woman, to the female model. It's very background. So I want to say in like late, early 2010s, late, like 2009, 2010, there was kind of this shift where there were younger men. And that was around the time that I was starting. And that was much more into like, the heroin chic side of things right um so there's also that side which is fucking that was my wheelhouse yeah train spotting book me for that well you still Um, have a shaved head so like listen (laughs) (laughs) like a kind of a like an off the shoulder black (laughs) t-shirt like it's all very um and you know like it it was a thing of like, you know, hollowed out under eyes and all that. I mean, how much was that? Was any of that what was actually going on for you? Like, I mean, physically Personally? or were you? Well, you can also answer that question. Oh, but yeah. I just mean like in this in this initial thing that I read in Split Lips, like it it really outlines sort of how you got that look and how it was fucked. You know, like yeah. it's that it's again, it's that thing of like, somebody's asking a model like how do you keep your figure and then she's like i just eat cheeseburgers like that's honestly the vibe like cheeseburgers you know and and then i think your essay is basically like well what i did was not i ate those cheeseburgers and i threw them up yeah Um, is that that's the vibe yeah that was very much the vibe for a very long time um better now but Mm -hmm. that's also i don't when I talk to people about that, there is this huge question of did working in that industry affect me having an eating disorder? But I had that before. 
So it was kind of, it didn't hurt me business-wise or like work-wise. That was kind of the look that junky, strung out teenager. Um, but I was doing that on my own for me. <laughs> that was my choice. Is uh, that different now? I like, I'm trying to think. I feel like it's like a little more bulked up, right? Like a general- Bulked up again. And I think in general, like there is, in all forms of media, I think this desire to be a lot more- healthy and yeah air quotes what you know yeah healthy inclusive clean cut um right 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 degree which is great i think gen z and where everything's going kids seem nicer kids seem happier i mean the world is screwed and that's probably weighing on them but compared to like this weird little time when i was an adolescent and it was this like brooding, angsty, Tumblr craziness. I just don't see that very much anymore. Yeah. From where I'm standing at least. Uh, I don't feel like I do either. Although I am curious with like 90s revival and crop top revival. <laughs> and The chokers. Um, yeah. And also like the Ozempic of it all. Like I just feel like oh. there's a, there's a possibility and like the buccal fat, however you say that, removal thing. I can't thing. pronounce it. Yeah. Yeah. I were, like just in terms of, I don't know, I feel because we have been going in this direction away from um, what you're talking about, but I'm just yeah. curious to see what No, that is next. crazy. I think if I was still in the depths of that disorder, Ozempic would have been so exciting. Um, yeah. Buckle fat, buccal fat, whatever that is. That there you go. Very much, yeah, I don't know. Um, whatever that is. Whatever it is. That was very much the vibe. If there were those shortcuts, I would have found a way. Um, but I did it the hard way, the old school way. (laughs) Were you also receiving, so, so it didn't affect your work. How did it affect the attention that you were receiving from men, especially like at such a young age? I don't know. I think I very much leaned into the whole train wreck vibe of it all. So it kind of, I was part of the package. I think when I was younger, I didn't come out until I was 20. Um, and my first kind of foray into that, I had a very loving, sweet boyfriend who was my age. So that was all healthy, fine and good. It wasn't until like 21, 22, 23 that I started to get really wily. And I think older men particularly if I look back at it now, I seemed very easy to take advantage of and exploit because I was putting myself in weird situations and I was very unhealthy. But I was also very aware of what was going on most of the time, if that makes sense. I, yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, I guess maybe some of what you're talking about is um, being in a situation where um exploitation is sort of welcomed which i think is a thing at least you know i'll say i i have a history of disordered eating myself and um it was super intense when i was in high school for me what was going on is that i was dating men 
and I hated it. <laughs> and Listen, so I hate it too. I was, <laughs> and um, I was like trying to control what I could control, which yeah. um, was that. And then also, uh, it's not that I guess before, but like when I was a kid, so people knew. It felt like my my peers could like tell that something was going on, but they like couldn't tell what it was. So mm. I call I got called fat a lot, which is so mm. interesting because I was not a fat child, but I think that they just didn't know to call me gay. Like I think they like it literally was like like <laughs> like the memo something. somehow didn't come through, but they like they were like something. What is we it? What's the word? Somehow. Yeah, like we we can't think of what the word is. So then I you know, got this really messed up messaging that like, first of all, it's shitty to like bully a kid, but also at least bully them for the right thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like let's be specific. And yeah. Accurate. Get it. Like, come on, nail it. But, um, do it. so yeah, I think I was like trying to both deflect that bullying and then also deal with the fact that like things were happening to my body when I was with men that that I like, I really hated. Absolutely. Um, I'm so sorry. Oh my I, God. It always boils down to control. And I feel like that's the saddest, weirdest, most isolating part of it. Oh, how are uh, you today? You know, I'm present. I'm around. Um, in terms of eating, I'm a lot mm -hmm. better. I think <laughs> this is terrible. And my therapist does not agree, but aging has helped in the sense that I know I could disorder all my eating all over again right now. And I still wouldn't look the way I did when I was 16. Oh, that's so funny. So, I mean, like terrible, but it's terrible. But it works. So yeah, I hear you. I'm taking the wins where I can get them. Um, I also think I have more to worry about in life as an adult. Um, I think. I guess that's kind of self-deprecating. I have done a lot of work on it, if I'm being completely honest. So I feel a lot better. What but does that look like? The, the work that you did, what did that look a like? A lot of therapy, um, group and individual. I avoided rehab somehow. Um, and it was, it was a longer journey because I feel like Listen, I've had issues with everything. Drugs, alcohol, sex, food. I'm a grab bag. Um, food was such an interesting one, though, because one, you need it to live. Two, there's no like... It's so complicated. I think eating disorders are very isolating in the sense that a lot of positive praise comes for being thin mm -hmm. and it's also something very easy to hide mm -hmm. it's um sorry uh, to get back to the question I it came in waves I'd do well for a while and then it would come back up again but I want to say for the last like six years I've been completely like no slip-ups or relapses no, I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, can I ask about the drugs, the alcohol, stuff? sex? Drugs, yeah. alcohol. Let's go. Um, <laughs> party. So the eating was the first one. Uh -huh. um, and that really stuck around. And then drugs started when I was like 15. I kind of went 
like full on euphoria in high school. It was absolutely a mess. Uh, did everything. I think with the exception of like, I was afraid of acid because that seemed like Willy Wonka's elevator to me. I knew how to go up and down and I could control that. I didn't want any sidestepping. Um, but lots of Adderall, cocaine, little bit of heroin. <laughs> um, really went wild. Drugs stuck around until like 23, cocaine mostly. And then alcohol got out of control. I am now sober for six months. I got sober in June. Oh, congratulations, Chris. Thank you. So that's new. Yeah. Um, it's been a wild ride. This is the longest I've been sober from everything since I was like 14. Yeah, that's a huge deal. How how are you? How is it? It's nuts. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sobriety is really it's um, super it's intense. Tuesday was six months. So <clears throat> um, it is intense. But I... I had this weird little revelation in group therapy last week. Um, people were talking about the denial side of addiction, not recognizing that you have a problem or admitting that you have a problem. And that was never me. I, from the second I tried all of these things, I was like, oh, this is an issue. I like this a lot. Um, mm. I always knew I had problems. And I think the revelation here is that I, Knew it was a problem. I just didn't think I was deserving of a solution. I know it's very cheesy, but no, I don't. Th I think that makes sense. That kind of clicked last week, and it's been pretty reinforcing in the decision to stay sober. I think. I mean, in group therapy and stuff, talking to all these other people. People are having issues with cravings and um, withdrawal symptoms, all of this wild stuff. I'm very fortunate and I'm very grateful um, that I feel so committed to this. Mm. I don't think I was ready. There were other times when I wanted to get sober for other people. And that's another like cheesy cliche, but you can't do that for other people. Um, Sorry, I haven't really talked about this with anybody but my immediate group. Uh, well, thank you for talking about it. I mean, also, if it's, you know, if it's not comfy, we can certainly um, no, no, no. pivot. It's... But, you know, Chris, I, I got to say, honestly, um, in a lot, I relate, uh, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, I actually haven't really talked about this in the podcast, but like, there's going to be a moment. Um, <laughs> I... Uh, I'm like working a, a program around um, sex and love addiction, which is really fucking okay. wild. SLA, yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't have to, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to say what program because um, <laughs> we don't represent at the level of television, uh, radio, film, or TV. But I will say that um, I didn't, you know, I, for me, like when you're talking about people that didn't know, like it's not that it was, um, I think I thought that that would look really different than it looked for me. Like, I think it, I think, you know, I imagine like, you know, Harvey Weinstein goes to wherever the fuck he's going. And then the, <laughs> the like 
press release is like, this guy has this thing. And like, that's why he's like a predator who's had like a million partners and like, um, and that's, you wouldn't even call that partners who's harmed a million people, you know? Mm. And, um, I think that's what I thought it would look like, or like, um, you know, uh, spending a lot of time looking at porn or spending a lot of time with like sex workers, you know, like there's just like mm -hmm. a framework and, you know, for some people it does look like that. Harvey Weinstein can go fuck himself. That's, yeah. that's just like predatory behavior. The whole other game. But yeah. Um, but for me, you know, it has looked a lot like um, chasing affirmation and interest above my own health. So like, yep. for instance, never stopping working, um, like be, re, being unable to um, be charming in all situations, like just an un, like a relentless pursuit against my own interests of um, moving on to the next thing. So it's, yeah. it's, that's what addiction is in all sorts. It's just like a pro progression towards like, what is going to make me feel this way. And it, you know, as a stand-up comic, it's like, I was just going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm making the decision to mostly not be on the road right now. And it's because it's like 20 years of going out every night and like trying to make an audience love me is honestly super unhealthy for me. Like it I is not away. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I would <laughs> well, not Well, I almost that. did. I mean, like, I did go to rehab for this issue. And it's because I like couldn't get my feet under me. Like, I was just making decisions based on how to get that high from an exterior source. Like, mm -hmm. it, people, places, and things. And, and even in romantic relationships that were, like, committed um needing that person to like approve of everything i was doing needing that person to like give me constant feedback yeah. and like not being able to give that to myself um and i know that that same like numbing out thing that people get from drugs and alcohol you can also from people um, yeah i mean do you feel like you get a high from performing yes i mean the con the comedy side yes. of it interests me so much yes because you are you are hilarious but that must be so draining you give so much of yourself to these people well i think i did every night it's like, that's what i didn't notice <laughs> so <laughs> fucked you're just in it and you're not paying attention to again paying attention to yourself your well own. also like I, I thought everybody felt that way and and honestly maybe they do if you choose this job but i would get like enormously high on stage then massively crash and i'd have to like drink a little bit to kind of go up and down afterwards. Like I just, it's like the amount that I was, this is what I'm talking about. Like the thing I was physically putting my body through to try to level off. It's like, I relate to what you were talking about earlier where it's like, like, so there literally is like a chemical element to being on stage. So I would get like yeah. nervous on the way there, not nervous about performance, but like, what if nobody's going to be there with my constant refrain, which is bananas, okay. even if the show was sold out. Like, what if nobody's going to be there? Because I'm like panicked on the they way. They all change their mind. Yeah. I also, yeah, I also didn't even know this is something I thought about until Katie would ride with me to shows. And, and she'd be like, you know, you talk about this every time. You always talk about what if nobody's going to be there. And I was like, I do. So anyway, I'm nervous that nobody's going to be there. Then I get there. Backstage, I'm like, nobody's going to be there. Literally, even. Then I go on stage. It's, it like generally goes really well. I'm really good at my job. I feel like 
absolutely limitless in my power and energy. And then the show's over. It just lasts for, I just talk for one hour. It's yeah. just one hour. So for one hour, it goes from like absolute dread and anxiety to like one hour of like utter bliss, completely like removed from all worries, self-hatred, like feeling amazing. And then when that's over, it just feels like such it's with withdrawal. Like it's such like, a yeah, loss. Come down. Yeah, it's yeah. a come down for sure. And so then um, you know, scrolling on Instagram or like TikTok or drinking like straight vodka, not that much, but like just anything <laughs> to like fuck up my brain that had just been through all that. Yeah. And then not being able to sleep, then getting up in the morning and doing it again. And like, that is addiction. Like that's also what addiction looks like. It, sub it for anything else. Yeah. Sub it for anything else. Like the nervous, the anxiety somebody might have is they're like on their way to get their fix and like the interest and like the energy of that, then getting there and like having that high and then the come down, but then being like, tomorrow I'm going to do it again. I, think, I mean, it yeah. is literally sub it for anything else. <laughs> cycle. Yeah. It's also like, the, you mentioned like mixing in like, vodka or like these unsolvable equations that we end up creating yes kind of <laughs> with anything to try and kind of balance everything out and to make it perfect or better because I mean all addiction is progressive do you think sorry do you have you recognized like a point where in your career as a comic it needed to be more did you ever notice something like that in terms of the addiction to attention or oh yeah I mean um yeah like I the the goal like the goal always moves right and yeah, so again okay. it's like the magnitude changes right because mm -hmm. it's not like getting booked on this thing I, I had this I had this comic years and years ago um Kurt Bronner, he's a comic. He said to me, "You always get the thing you wanted the year after you wanted it." And like that is true. So like generally by the time I get to something I don't care about it, but it's like a goal that I had for a long time. Yeah. But my goals have changed. Like I was on like a network TV show for two seasons. If you would have told me that when I was like 19, I would have been like, "Get the fuck out of here." But <laughs> it felt like it felt it was exciting, but also felt like nothing. And I think that's really what drove me to like get some help for this is like just feeling, you know, just being miserable and like, n and nothing is going to ever feel like anything. Like, it's like, it, it's this, I, you know, you're chasing that initial high. Yeah. I'm chasing the way that I felt when I was like 19 and I felt like I was powerful for the first time. Absolutely. And I think sometimes, or I don't, for me personally, there was this moment where, I kind of knew I wasn't going to get that first high back or reach that moment of perfection again. So numb was better. Like that was the second best thing was oh just to God. completely numb out. Yeah, totally. Because then I don't have to feel the bad feelings. I don't get to feel the good ones either, but at least I don't feel the bad ones. I will just completely numb out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I didn't realize it in the moment but that's the part that I think got the worst for me is I just was not at all present anymore um 
Yeah, I relate to that. I mean, I think for me, a way that it also looked was just like some pretty intense loneliness because in all of that pursuit and like the secrets of how bad I felt about myself as all these good positive things were happening, like having to keep that a secret, having to keep like the way that I was like the ups and downs that I was feeling, having to keep all that a secret. And um, I mean, you know, addiction, it's like a disease of isolation. And that's how I felt is like, and I started working on this, um, you know, years ago. Um, but I didn't totally, it didn't totally click in honestly until this last year, what was going on. Like I started working on this, got to this place and I was like, Oh, it's this, you know, because I thought it looked a certain way and it doesn't look that way for me. Um, but what did you even ask? I don't fucking know. You what know what? It about? beats the hell out of me. What I don't know what just happened to about? us. We're hanging out. Um, it doesn't matter. Addiction. It's a cycle. It's crazy. Oh, I, I think, think you were asking. I think was, you were asking about the numbing out. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, that's what <laughs> it is. It's like I'm. So I. Um, I am. I am sober. Even though I also. It's it's like food sobriety where you still have to eat. So yeah. I still have my job. Yeah. Um, I still uh, need to sometimes post on Instagram. Like yeah. it's it's the same thing um, where, but there are like parameters for um, how much I'm willing to give of myself, I guess. That's great. I think that, yeah. I think that's really important is, I mean, that goes without saying, but learning to value yourself, it's way easier said than done, I think, to actively recognize what your needs are, to respect them. Yeah, because you end up forsaking all of that for the high of whatever it is. Yeah. And it's a very lonely, scary place to be. Yes, I think that what you just said, so that's kind of, I think it's what struck me about your, the about the first essay I read of yours is, I just really related to this idea where like, the way I was treated as a kid, the family I grew up in, I just felt, I felt devalued, right? And then I went into the world and I tried to like earn that value. And by the way, like, I got that feedback. Like mm -hmm. if, if feedback from the outside had been enough for me to feel like I was valuable, then it would have already worked. Like, I think yeah. that's where I also got to. And I'm not yeah. saying because I've achieved all of my goals, but it's like, okay, so you live in LA and you can support yourself and you have a ton of friends and you have a wife and you're, you know, you're like, on television, which you set out to be your comic, which you set out to be, it's like, if all of that, if I was look, if external, if that had been something that could have helped, then it, it would have helped <laughs> because, because I already got there. I think I could lie to myself for a really long time about like when I get this next thing. And so that's when I read your, your piece and it's about, you know, modeling and it's, and it's, you're in, you're in an international situation and there's men around and like, you're, you know, you are 
through restrictive eating and through self-harm, like styling your body, you know, in this certain way, like all of that, if that like had been enough, then the the sadness and the loneliness wouldn't have been present for yeah. you. Yeah. And it was, it was so lonely. I, I think about that time specifically, that was such, I had people around me. I was working nonstop. I was making new friends, like with the other models and crew members there. I've never felt so alone. Um, part of that was being in a foreign country, but it was also just, I was young. I was just miserable. It really was such a dark, dark time. And I think it was easy to distract myself in a place like Tokyo, you just got flashing lights and music and craziness all the time. But those moments when like the hookup would leave or everybody else wants to go to bed or I have an early call time tomorrow and I should be getting to bed and I'm alone. Those just hit me horribly. Mm. Um, so I would try to avoid that at all costs. Yeah, of course. And there's, and you, you read about a friend who told you the truth in that time sam oh my yeah. god yeah the only other gay there leave it to oh the gay. there's somebody yeah. you're calling there's somebody oh, you're calling got it that there, was ashlyn <laughs> yeah. yeah there's like a friend but there so there's like a friend who tells you the truth and is like i'm genuinely worried about you and yeah. um i guess just maybe as we're gonna leave it for today i will just say um In my experience with this, like what actually helped me when I was feeling the worst was um, somebody was super honest with me. That person was my wife, um, but also she couldn't fix it. And so she said that too. And just in case anybody's listening that has somebody in their life that they feel worried about, I just want to be very clear that like, we can't save somebody who's in this zone. You said this earlier, we can't do it for other people. We have to want it for ourselves. And so for me, what was helpful was like a combination of somebody telling me the truth, mm -hmm. but then also not somebody trying to fix it for me. Um, Absolutely. So I don't know what helped you in this time, but I would imagine there might be some people listening who, um, like this is a very sweet and open conversation. So <laughs> if you could like talk to any of those people who are listening, what would you say? If they some, have somebody I, in their life who's struggling with any of this. Somebody who's struggling. I think being there to support them without enabling them. I think setting yeah, boundaries. Yeah, there we go. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> to, to set boundaries for yourself. Yep. Because you can and will get hurt. Um, you can show love while still loving yourself. And I think researching, finding out whatever resources you have that you can offer to them, but making sure that you are there for yourself as well. Because I think the sad, screwed up part of all of this is that it becomes this codependent thing that's really difficult. And I don't know, I think to people that are struggling, the weird thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is if you can kind of imagine your child self seeing you now if you could have a conversation with that kid like where would they how would they perceive you at present 
Oh, wow. What would they want for you? Because then you're still doing it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a big one for me. So I, had, I think if the child me had seen the me that I was becoming and had become, he would have been real pissed. So <laughs> <laughs> we had to have a little talk. I think that's... Honestly, Chris, I've never... Because I... I've very often heard people talk about like speaking to their younger self to soothe that, that kid and be like, you're going to be okay. But I've never thought about what that kid might think. Oh yeah. I'm putting a lot on that kid's plate, but. My little kid, my, no, but like my teeny, I mean, totally. I I would have been like, what the fuck are you up to? (laughs) But I think your younger self would tell you to appreciate everything that you have because that's That's what they wanted so badly. I think they would be so stoked to see you. I think that's right. I think, but I think they would also be like, I think you're right. I think they'd be super (laughs) stoked and super proud of me. I think they'd also be like, stay home, like chill out, like take a breath, (laughs) watch a movie. (laughs) You need to kick it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that's the part that I've been attempting to work on. Um, I'm really glad. I mean, you deserve it. I think comedy is such a wild thing to me and you go out there, you give so much of yourself. You have to take care of yourself. There's a reason that like oh my goodness. depression and all, all that runs in comedians. I feel like because you guys are exerting so much all of the time. Yeah. Also, I mean, number one, that's true. But also it's like, what personality type wants <laughs> to live a perpetual roller coaster? Yeah. <laughs> it seeks like, that out. Yeah. Before I send you back into your day, I always have folks shout out a queero, a person, place, or thing that made you feel you could be who you are today. Would you like to shout out a queero? Yeah. Okay. Maybe a little controversial, but I love this man so much. Dennis Cooper is a writer. Um, was, yeah, very controversial, especially within the queer community because of the content of his work. But I've always found him fascinating. He wrote characters that I could relate to as a queer person um, in different ways. And I think if you can see past a lot of the nastiness on the surface level of his work, there's usually something very human and tender there. And I've just always loved his work. I don't know who the fuck you're talking about. And I am like very well read. What are you talking about? I'll hook you up. It's pretty dark, wild gay literature, but it's... It's a okay, ride. what am I up to? I mean, I'll, fine, bring it. <laughs> I'll, I'll text you. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Well, Chris, thank you. And um, like now we'll just transition to, you know, friendship that's not recorded. There you go. I'll see you at the show. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Bye. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.